It's Beth here. This is the second time I'm trying to get this thing to work. I hope it's working. Um, I went through it once before and I had energy. I don't know what's going to happen now. Maybe it'll be better with less energy. I don't know. Happy Valentine's Day. We were going to go out. I was going to be scintillating. I just found it. I, last year it was really hard. There were all these young people and they made an extra room, like a banquet room, into an extra room for Valentine's Day. We are going early. We we're going to go at 4.30. But I just feel like it's amateur night, and it's all these young people, and I'd rather celebrate out in the world Saturday night, pretend it's Valentine's Day. You know, just, ugh, it's hard. So anyway, so instead we're going to have, but he did give me a great present. I got a spa day, which was huge for Valentine's Day. I must be doing something right. And what I'm going to have tonight for dinner is I had to cook a meatloaf anyway because the meat goes bad. I think I can look stintillating while eating meatloaf. I think I can. I'm going to try. I'm going to take, I'm going to take my bathrobe off. I'm going to put some clothes on. I've got a citronella or a sugar cookie candle. Can't decide which one sets the mood. Don't really have any other candles in the house. So I'm going to give it a go. That's my Valentine's Day. I hope you're going to have a wonderful one. I, you're not going to believe this. I got a phone call from my home and bathrobe magazine editor at large, Diane. She called me from Colorado. I'm thrilled. It's like hearing from the Pope. I'm like, Diane, you're calling me. She's like, yeah, I'm calling you. Who's this guy, Al? What did you do to my podcast? I'm like, Al? She goes, yeah. You, Al made you do it? I'm like, no, that's AI made me do it. Artificial intelligence. She said, no. Uh-uh. This guy, Al, doesn't even have any intelligence. Artificial or not. What did you change everything for? I'm like, well, you know, he told me that everybody does one podcast a week. And uh, that I should do that. Just put everything together. She goes, you know what? I have the attention span of a gnat. I liked your 10-minute podcast. That's enough of you already. If I want more, I just stick around and another podcast shows up. She said, what did you have to change things for? I was like, I don't know. She said, okay, I'll give you one. I was, you know, crying at this point, you know. So she gave me, she threw me a crumb. She goes, okay. One thing I like is Alexa is quiet. No more spa music. I couldn't understand the thing you were saying. And she said, listen, what movie were you rev reviewing last week? I couldn't tell. I said, Argyle. She goes, you got to mention it two or three times if you're going to do it like this. Before, when it was Argyle movie review, I knew it was Argyle. Mention it three times at least. I was like, okay. She goes, yeah, if you got to do this, do it. I said, well, you know, it's really hard because I just saw Lisa, Lisa Frankenstein yesterday and I really want to do a review. She said, who's stopping you? Al, do it. If you come up with something in the middle of the week and you can't wait, do a short one. We'll forgive you. 
will like you more. Don't worry about it. I was like, okay. She said, listen, I got to go back to pickleball. See ya. So anyway, that's what I'm going to do. If I get a Lisa Frankenstein, I'm going to do it immediately. You know, and I've got a lot to say here, but I got to get this out of the way. This is my movie review. I mean, you're not going to be able to stop your middle school granddaughter from watching this, but it is not a good movie. It's got Cole Sprouse in it, and she probably loved him because he was a uh, jughead in Riverdale. Became a big part because he's so cute. She's going to see it at a sleepover. The sad thing is it's not Buffy the Vampire. It's not Heather's. The girl watches the murders and fixes them is on the side of good. This girl, no, not so much. She watches the mayhem. She lets more happen. She's not sorry in the end. So I looked up everything. The end is so off the wall. They're trying to make me feel that this is uh, sort of an homage to Notting Hill with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant because there's a bench involved at the end. I'm like when the writer and the director have to come out after the movie's released and explain the ending, there's a big problem. Okay, so the ending is, and you could maybe tell your preteen this if you, if she's like, you know, we love the movie, but we didn't understand the ending. Here's the ending. You can nail it. In the gravestone for the girl, because she dies in the movie, there is a lightning strike mark on the gravestone, which means she died. He was taking care of the gravestone. Lightning strikes, and just like he woke up after she wakes up after, and he's taking care of her wounds. That explains the ending. Otherwise, terrible movie. Not romantic. It just, it, it, it was, there was one point where she sings and he plays the piano and it practically got good. That was it. I feel sorry for these kids. I mean, I'm all for teenage horror fun movies and Buffy was great. And she was always doing good. It didn't always look like it, but she always was. That's somebody I can root for. That's somebody I'd like my teenage, middle school, granddaughter, whatever, rooting for. It was not this movie. So that was bad. Okay. Now, Newshound was huge this week. Absolutely huge. Okay. So we'll go back to Valentine's Day because uh, I've got some explaining to do. More people are unattached that's good for Valentine's Day. You want to know why? Self-gifting, self-gifting is on the rise as consumers enjoy empowerment of treating themselves. And guess what? They buy themselves more expensive gifts than they ever bought their Valentine. It's mostly guys. Watch out. So I did a little snooping. And in the Sunday paper, though this was the personal journal, Monday, February 12th, explains a lot. Putting relationships to the orange test. You turn on the camera, you got your boyfriend, husband, going to work, leaving to meet his friends, playing a video game, whatever. You come up to him and you go, I want you to peel me an orange. 
He's supposed to stop everything. If he doesn't stop any everything, he doesn't love you. This is the test. This is why people are single on Valentine's Day. Maiden West said it a hundred years ago in a movie. And it was laughable because it was supposed to be laughable. She said, peel me a grape. Nobody refers to it in any of the articles I've read about putting your relationship to the orange test. Okay, so then we get to the end of it and nobody's passing these tests and there are other ones and they're just mean. Everybody's so disappointed in their boyfriend and girlfriend. People are being tested online. I mean, that's just not fair. Well, this one person in Philadelphia, this 25-year-old fashion designer, her boyfriend passed the test with flying colors. The only one. A for effort. A for everything. So I had to read it, of course. The two, okay, then spent, they got awards, right, from everybody online. You're the best. Okay. The two then spent the rest of their time discussing some of the orange peels in their relationship, such as, oh my gosh, how he stocks the refrigerator at his apartment with her favorite soda. I stopped. What? His apartment? Of course he's going to peel you an orange. He's going to go home, close the door, and it's not going to happen on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's why he can do it. He gets a break. Not every day when you're married do you ever get a break. You never get a break. So forget that, okay? Nobody can do it if you're in close proximity. Kit said that he feels sorry for the all the oranges that have been in service to this because it's crazy. And they're being thrown against the wall. No guy's peeling the orange. He doesn't get it. Why don't you peel yourself an orange? You don't even like oranges. So it's TikTok, whatever. But it's another way to fail. Okay? Maybe explains why Valentine's Day is uh, people who've known each other for two weeks. That's what I'm finding when I go out. They're still in that starry phase because they don't even know each other. It's stressful. Okay, so... I found this article, Cocktails with George and Martha, okay? So, actually, I had no idea that Elizabeth Taylor was 32 when they filmed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with her husband, Richard Burton. She looks 52. She really does. Here's why. At 32, she's already... She, had already been through four marriages and had just proceeded to her fifth with Eddie Fisher, who broke up his marriage with Debbie Reynolds, Carrie Fisher's mother, very publicly, very horribly, when the kids were four and two because Elizabeth Taylor's husband had died in an accident and he came rushing in to save the day. Terrible terrible what happened to his career and rightfully so he hurt debbie nobody hurts debbie reynolds okay so they're married for 15 minutes okay it's her fifth marriage she's married to eddie fisher she invites richard burton over for dinner then she watches him torment husband number four eddie fisher finally when Richard is way into the cups, he looks over at Eddie and then he looks right into 
Elizabeth's eyes, and he says, Elizabeth, who do you love? She looked over at Richard, and she said, you. That's worse than anything ever that Edward Albee ever put in a play or a movie. Wow. No wonder those two got into those roles. People thought they were acting. It was Tuesday. That's how they lived their lives. Unbelievable. So now I have a new respect for that movie. And not a big respect for her acting. And she was 32 and she looked 52. It was crazy. Okay. There's a movie coming out. Chanel versus Dior in the war-torn Paris. Okay, so this is what happened to them. Those two great designers during the war. Chanel hooked up with a Nazi and lived the good life during World War II with him. Nazi general or whatever. Some big wig. Dior was making clothes for the Nazi wives, feeling really bad about himself, giving all of his money to his sister secretly, who was working with the French resistance. The war ends. He gets, he gets tagged as the bad guy. Chanel goes to Switzerland for eight years to ride it out. She does. She comes back. Now, what I want to know is there was this big party. A Chanel is the star at this attraction. It was the New York Fashion Week, and it was for Coco Chanel. Everybody's wearing these Chanel outfits. She was horrible during World War II. She didn't care. She didn't help feed anybody. She didn't do anything. In fact, she used the Aryan laws in France at the time to get rid of her Jewish backers so she could own the company outright by herself. That's the kind of gal she was. So I don't know if there's going to be another Chanel is the star at this attraction after all this gets out. We'll see. She still makes a great jacket, but come on. If we're going to get mad at other people for doing other bad things, maybe we should get mad at Coco because she was really rotten during World War II. I'm just saying, and I'm an observer because I can't afford a Chanel jacket. And maybe you hear a little bit of bitterness in my voice. It could be there. Okay. But that's all I'm saying. I just want to know if next year there'll be that Coco Chanel's main attraction party again. All right. So Susie Essman is this woman who is an actress in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And she's Jeff Garland's wife in the, in the show, his agent, the chubby guy. He's adorable. What I love about her more than anything is even during totally wokeness, totally woman's lib, you never, ever, ever get to see a woman be herself when she has kind of a caustic sense of humor. And she never in one scene is ever not herself. And her fashion, her choices are absolutely horrible. She goes to Miami Beach to the old lady shops to find clothes to help because the people in LA can't do it. They can't figure out how to dress Susie. She has to do it herself. She has to get fake jewelry, lime green dresses, the works. Anyway, the funny thing is she said she's always been this way, even when she was little and her parents said, you're never going to make it ever in the movies. Nobody wants that mouth. 
She kept at it. She kept at it. She finally got this job. And the mother said to her, does anybody watch that show? Why would anybody watch that show? She said, you know what? It's horrible. And you're hardly in it. And when you're in it, you're not very good. She said she spent her whole life trying to get her mother to laugh. Everything she did was to get her depressed mother to laugh. She never did. Guess what? She's the one that cracks up Larry David every single day on the set. She's happy now. She's still angry, always angry, but lovable. Now she found somebody that loves her, somebody bigger than her mother. Everything's better for her now. Good. Okay, so then I go on to my modern love section, and there's this picture of this lady with this giant dog and a cat, okay? So what happened was she met this guy, and he said, for years, my husband told me, you're the love of my life. Nothing you could do could ever make me leave you. And then he met someone else and it was over. As promised, it was nothing I had done. Well, let me tell you what she did do. This guy had a couple of kids. She raised them completely because his, his ex-wife disappeared. Completely. She loved New York City. She moved to the country for this guy. She took her cat. Her cat was nervous in the country. Cat kind of calmed down. Then he comes home with this puppy. And he says, don't worry, it'll stay small. It's a miniature. 80 pounds later, she's got this dog and the kids in school and her job, making most of the money for this guy who says, nothing you could ever do could make me leave you. She is the nicest person who ever lived. He leaves her in the country with the kids in school and this giant dog and the cat. So finally... That's all she's got in this whole world. And the weird thing about the big dog is that he loved the man. Every time this big dog hears a man's voice, he goes running up to the man with his tail whacking. She didn't even get the love of the dog. Her cat, her cat's okay. Doesn't love anybody. Equal opportunity. But that big 80-pound dog that she hauls to the bed all the time because he's got problems. Doesn't even love her. This woman's the most amazing person in the world. And she's not even bitter. That's what I love about it. I'd be so bitter. Okay, so back to exploring the problems of Valentine's Day. Okay. Sunday Styles cover. First page. Exploring techno-sexuality. The woman looks like she's having a great time. A little bit like Audrey Hepburn. The quest to find romance and fulfill desires in an era of, hold on to your hat, virtual partners, smart sex toys, and restrictive dating apps. The name of this article should be How to Ruin Christmas. With You move on, I could only go two paragraphs into it. When they got to data-driven orgasms, I thought, you're not only ruining Christmas, I never want to hear the word Christmas again. That's what's happening to me now. No wonder everyone is alone. Okay, but we'll move on because that's depressing. I can't imagine ever wanting data-driven. I'm just thrilled to be there. I'm amazed it happened again. Maybe I'm not very good at it. It's a thrill, like Christmas morning. Ah, I win data-driven orgasms. Oh my God. Okay. 
former filmmaker offers up a feast. This is great. In lower Manhattan, this guy, Keith McNally, wrote this movie called End of the Night. Now, this is an incredible premise for a movie. It's a horror movie, but it's based on all of the insecurities a man has when he is going to have a baby, his first baby, scared to death. He has to be a breadwinner. He has to be wise. Like there are only two kinds of dads in America, the deadbeat dad and Andy Hardy's father, the judge who has the answer to every question. Okay. So I think that's a great premise. I think it should be explored again. This one was, he's not, he's not in love with this movie, but everyone loved the movie because this guy also owns Balthazar, the Mineta Tavern, Pastis, and Morandi. I don't care about those other restaurants, but Balthazar is the best restaurant in New York City. And if you go, you're probably going to see Meg Ryan there. She goes every other day. And you don't even look at her. It's so cool. It's like you feel like you're a real New Yorker. And the food is, I bought the cookbook. Everything on the menu is amazing. And he gave people half-price dinners if they want to see this movie. People saved up and they got the Neptune platter because it's got fat lobsters on it. Everything is perfect on it. And then some other people got the beef, the steak freak, which is perfect. And so a bill that was $400 for four people is only 199 which in New York is a steal. But I wish that he would come to Austin and give me the same deal for a really great restaurant in our town. What a great idea. If you want people to see your movie, give them something. Nobody's going to the movie theaters anymore. So that's what happened. The movie sold out. He has to make more, more of it because, I mean, who doesn't want that deal? So this is funny. This is a marriage. Yuna Yang and Christopher Sek. Okay. For nearly three months, she asked this guy, she said, I want to be more than friends. It takes him three months to decide he wants to be more than friends. I don't think you should marry a guy that takes three months to decide he wants to be more than your friend. That's not very hot. There's no smoke. There's no fire. There's no nothing. There's no chemistry. He failed chemistry in high school. This guy, no good. She marries him anyway. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. Whole family's thrilled. Oh my gosh, she is 45. And he's 39, I think. He's 38. Well, she didn't even have three months to spare. But she got him, so there we have it. Okay, great. Now this is my favorite article of all time in the paper. And it was in the exchange section of the Wall Street Journal, which I never look at because it's about money. Who cares? But there it was. It was hidden away. The world's smartest minds and a 2,000-year-old mystery. Okay, the mystery was the Herculeum Papri. They had been unreadable since Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD. I'm glad they said AD. I, I'm glad that's back. Okay, few because the other thing, I didn't know what they were talking about. Okay, so then tech investors and billionaires decided to fund a Vesuvius challenge for $1 million. And three guys, Ferreter, the most 
amazing guy. He went to the University of Nebraska, and in his dorm room, he comes up with a solution to half the problem. Then there's this other guy, well, three guys, okay? That guy came up with half. The other two came up with the other half. And they started scanning the segments and searching for ink. Sounds basic, but it's really, really tricky and really bonkers. It was like a magic trick. And it was very impossible to flatten the sheets because they fell apart. So they developed this machine that didn't need to flatten the sheets. Freaking this tech investor who was watching these kids couldn't believe what happened. They, they solved, he said, look, when you're in the sciences, I can't do it. You got to be in your twenties. The brain has to be that young, that malleable, that plastic. In the humanities, your best years are fifties to sixties, but for work like this, I needed kids in college and he was right. So all these kids got together. So then there was the Faraday guy was an intern while he was at school at SpaceX. He was listening to Friedman on a podcast, podcast, while driving to the comp company's star base in Boca Chica, Texas. That's how we found that guy. The other guy is from Egypt and he found out about the, so all these guys from all over the world pulled their minds together. These three who were at the top of their game came together, put their smarts together and solved the problem. Freakin believed it would be essential to blend competition with co cooperation. That's why the Vesuvius challenge offered another $300 in prizes that awarded milestones along the way. Okay. So he was, he knew that he needed every single mind to, to deal with aspects of this problem. They got the whole thing resolved, but they only got like three pages of, of the problem. So last, last summer, Ferreter's AI model, AI, Diane, not Al, spotted a string of 10 letters that spelled purple. That's how it happened. That's how the whole thing got going. This made Ferreter the first person in two millennia, millennia to read a word in the unopened papyri. Okay, so they went on and what, what happens in, so they got a couple of pages. That's all they could get. As it turns out, this is what was said in the papyri. It's kind of amazing. It was likely written by an Epicurean philosopher, Philodemus. He discussed topics like we're talking about today. Music, food, pleasure. Basically, how to live a happy life. You can almost see someone writing this in a substack right now. That is amazing to me. But this freaking guy ought to watch out because... That Faraday kid, the smartest one of them all, he asked him to drop out of college. And the kid did. Friedman did this. And he wants him to work on scrolls full time. I'll tell you what, Mr. Freakin, you better wait for that knock on the door. You better wait. Because Mrs. Faraday is coming to talk to you about taking your son out of college. You are going to get it. I'm just warning you. You didn't even ask her what she thought. And now her kid's out of school and he's right by your side doing this one thing when he was doing other things too. Okay, she's not happy. I can feel it all the way from over here. She is not happy. Okay, 
Now, my pet peeve is really big this month, this week. Okay, so what happened was I was meeting a friend. We were going to see the movie, right? You know, Lisa Frankenstein. Okay, we're going to have a little something at uh, Cheesecake Factory before. Of course, there's nothing little on the menu. That's what we tell ourselves, a little something. Always huge. Okay, fine. I walk in. As I'm walking in, this couple is right in front of me. And she says to him, Okay, okay, this was your idea, Bill. You can meet my parents. These are the people that broke me. But okay, Bill, if it's important to you, they're having a little fight, right? It's like, Bill says, listen, I just want to meet your parents. You're going to meet the people who broke me right now. She stomps off to their table. A lovely older couple's there. I show up. I sit right next to them. The restaurant isn't even full. It's silent. I guess they're putting the waiters so the waiter has not not too many steps he has to take. I don't know what that's about. I hate it. But this time, I'm riveted. I sit down. There they are, Bill and uh, the daughter, looking at these adorable parents who seem thrilled to see them, right? So, daughter goes, Sorry, Mom, I know we're half an hour late. The mother goes, That's okay. Were you stuck in traffic? Daughter goes to Bill. See, I told you, this is what she does. This is what she does. And I'm like, what does she do? She's not making you feel bad. She's trying to give you an excuse to get off the hook. Why are you doing this to her? What is up with you? I know this woman. I can tell. She bought you Doc Martens in middle school. $120 while your foot was still growing. She bought you a titanium bat in softball so you could hit the ball. Meanwhile, you never practiced. I know her. And you're telling this guy the five or 10 or 30 times she lost it. Meanwhile, she's there every day since the day you were born. And she's heard every, this poor Bill guy has heard every one of those horrible stories. Meanwhile, she's been wonderful. Finally, Bill gets up to go to the bathroom. I'm still waiting for my friend. She's late. And I feel like going over to him on his way, coming back and saying, you know what? This is what I hate about love. He's going to go, excuse me. What your, what your little girlfriend's doing? Everybody can do it. You can take a long love affair and you can find 20 days where she lost it. Crazed. Insane. And this is the choice people make. They choose to weigh those 20 days against 20 years of fantastic servitude or to just highlight like those 20 days and make it seem like it was all the time. I said, your girlfriend, she's going to do this to you someday. You better watch it. You better watch it. You're going to be having Valentine's by yourself in no time. But I didn't say a word, but that's what I think. We're getting hammered out there. And this girl, when she tells them those crazy stories about the mother, she's not saying the, the week she put her mother through. Everything going wrong. Zeros and homework. Crazy hysterical problems because you have acne. Every single thing. And then she finally loses it. That's all we, we, we say. I was an angel. And my mother came at me for no reason at all. Oh my God. My pet peeve. My pet peeve this week. Huge. A snapshot, it's about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. 
and the way they look at each other and their body language. And I'd seen it before and I couldn't place it. And I wasn't going to do a snapshot because I couldn't come up with one this week. Last night, three o'clock in the morning, I had it. It reminds me of Harry Chapin and his wife, Sandy. And this goes back, oh my gosh, 50 years. 50 years ago, I was in a foul mood. I had a boyfriend. I'd lost 20 pounds. He didn't even notice. Never thought I was nice. Never thought I was great. Never loved me. I thought my laugh was too loud. Everything was wrong with me. I thought he had discerning taste. I thought he was the most remarkable guy in the world. But I did think I could win him over. When I lost those 20 pounds, I realized I could never win him over. Went out with my friends to the Hamptons, to a club. Revenge dancing. I wear, wore a tight pair of jeans, had a workman's shirt on, just tied it. No buttons at all. Just made a knot of it. Like, boom! I'm, I was vengefully dressing. Sexy. Like, Arr! go to this place. Dance myself into oblivion. Don't even meet anybody. Don't care. Just, Arr! I'm not ugly. Arr! That kind of a mood. We're going to the diner afterwards. We've got two big apple juices in brown paper sacks. Okay, we're sharing them in the car. I'm driving. I'm drinking out of this brown paper sack. Cop sees me, pulls me over. There's another cop right behind him. Get out of the car! Like shaking. It's never happened to me before. I'm not worried about what they're going to do. I'm worried about what my mother's going to do when I get in trouble. Get out of the car! Get out of the car! Get out of the car. So give me that. Don't, don't spill it. Just, he's got a gun in his hand. Give me that bottle. Give me that. I said, it's apple juice. He goes, yeah, right. It's apple juice. He takes a swig, spits it out, laughs at his buddies. It's goddamn apple juice. Tells us to get out of here. We get to the, to the restaurant. I'm still telling the story. Harry Chapin's coming out of the bathroom. I'm like, wanted to hear this story. It's unbelievable two people who I don't even know waiting because we're all waiting for a table for like an hour. That's what it takes. He hears me. He goes, come here, come to my table. Tell me the story. I need new stories. I follow. I leave my friends behind cold. Don't even look back. Super, super nice 18 year old that I am vengefully everything tonight. Get to the table. He's sitting there with his mother in a cardigan and a little like villager dress with uh, that stupid collar, a cardigan, a virgin pin, and a page boy. I'm like, My, his mother's young, but that's his mother. Sit down. He says, this is Sandy. Tell us your story. Tell him the story about the cop and the apple juice. He says, it's not even a good story. I'm like, I thought it was great. Got any other stories? Start telling him other stories. He's not liking any of them. I finally say, his food comes. I finally say, tell me your story. He said, I'm going to eat my pancakes. Tell him another story while he's eating. It's not good either. Nothing I have is any good. Finally, he stops eating and I'm like, why don't you tell me a story? He looks over at her, his mother, smiles. He goes, yeah, I'll tell you a story. And he tells me the story of how they met. She was married, 
I'm getting all confused now. And had three children and asked him to teach her. She said, I want to learn a love song. I'm throwing up in my mouth. I'm like, oh my God, that's your girlfriend. She has three children. She wears cardigans. When everybody else here is a hippie, what are you doing? He's looking at her. And they tell the story and they both are blushing. I'm like, what? I mean, this guy rode taxi. I thought he was a taxi driver. I thought he was, he's, he's living in suburbia with a mother with three children. I don't know how old she is. She's only eight years older than him, but she looked 20 years older than him. So finally, I'm just staring at them and he leaves a $50 bill on the table and he says to her, we better get home to the kids. I'm like, what? But when he gets up, the way he holds her chair and the way he puts his arm around her, it was hot. It was chemistry, more than I'd seen anywhere from any dumb kids my age. The way he cherished her. And I looked at him and I said, you should turn that story into a song. And it's funny, just... A year ago, I found it. And he, it's not a good song, but he wrote the song for her. But the moral to the story is they had the same amount of chemistry as Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And they had more kids together. And she was a wonderful wife to him. A divorcee with three kids marries one of the hottest, biggest stars in the country. And she has him wrapped around her finger. He never saw another girl in this crazy coffee shop filled with people in bikinis, practically. That's what real love is. I learned my lesson. So what I did was, he said, I'll tell your friend to come in. My friends start coming in. I buttoned up my shirt, my man tailor shirt, uh, unraveled the knot that I made and tucked it in. I just thought, being vengefully sexy is stupid and gross. And that woman in that cardigan taught me a huge message about what you need to look like to find love. So, and they did stay married and she's wonderful. So her name is Sandy. So anyway, that was my snapshot. But it was really funny because exactly like he holds her, like tenderly was what I saw at that crazy, crazy coffee shop. Harry Chapin. And she said she was a poet. And I'm like, yeah, right. And a songwriter. I'm like, yeah, right, right. Come on. You can't be a songwriter, poet, and wear a cardigan and a virgin pin when you're 50, which I thought she was, because she had a page boy. Only 50-year-olds had page boys and mothers. Very confused. She wrote Cats in the Cradle. She wrote it for her first husband, who the three children, he was a workaholic. She's a socialite too. She didn't look like a socialite. She actually, she looked like suburban mom. But anyway, she wrote Cats in the Cradle, which is arguably one of the best songs ever written. So Sandy, you were right. And I was wrong. And I was 18. Ugh. Okay. So the Jean-Luc joke is short, clean, because people are going to run when you say it, want to hear a joke. They're going to run. They're going to be like, no, please 
don't do it. Just don't. We're having a good time. Don't do it. Like, just get him to calm down. It just only takes like 30 seconds, okay? Here it goes. There's this man. He's sitting alone in his little house, right? Here's a knock on the door. He opens the door, looks down, sees a snail, huge snail at the door. It's like gross. Picks up the, sna the snail and throws it as far as he can. A year later, there's another knock at the door. He opens the door and he sees the same snail. The snail looks up at him and says, what was that all about? See, didn't hurt. Not a bit. Okay, so I'll be back next week. Try to stay sane. Try to get through Valentine's Day and forget everything I told you about those Valentine's things that people are doing. I mean, the gift for yourself is kind of interesting, but all the other stuff, you know, they're, they're ruining Christmas. So of course they're ruining Valentine's Day. But try to stay sane and I will be back. Thanks. They fly so high, nearly reach the sky, and like my dream.